I'm Gemma Patterson, Global Ambassador for the Bovenny, and you're listening to the Bovenny Stories series, a trip behind the scenes of the Bovenny, meeting the people and exploring the places that help shape these incredible whiskies. What I love most about my job is that every day is full of stories, whether they're about how our whisky is made, where whisky is made, or who's helped make it. It's these stories behind Balvenie that really bring it to life. Over the last few months, I've had the pleasure of travelling the world to talk to the people that helped to make the Balvenie Stories series. In this episode, we're going to explore what Highland Pete, Warehouse 41, and a drive and a defender around the Balvenie farm have in common. Find out more as we tell the story of A Week of Pete. So we're here in Dufton, in the William Grant and Sons office at the distillery, with former distillery manager Ian Miller to talk about Week of Peat. It was, it was like a joyful week. So people started to look forward to the production <laughs> of peat wheat because it took them away from what, what out of the ordinary mm-hmm. and into something that was quite exciting. The smell in, in Balvenie, there's a lovely natural sweetness that you get in mm-hmm. every Balvenie anyway, but the, the peat... The peat smoke, the peat reek, the peat smell seemed to um, increase the amount of sweetness that you were getting from the warts that you could smell in the mash tun. It was, uh, everybody was walking around with a smile on their face and, come and smell this! So people from Glenfriddich were walking down to Balvenie so they could smell it. People from Spirit Supply and Warehousing and the Cooperage, they were all coming up to Balvenie Distillery to smell the mash because it's the first time we'd ever done it. Yeah. And the first time it probably they'd ever smelled peat, peated whiskey in a, in a mash. And it's those smells that, speaking to the team, have really stayed with everybody. They're so evocative. Everyone remembers that week, that very that, first week. That very first week. The peat <clears throat> reek. Kind the, of peat, the peat week was just tremendous. Billowing out across the distillery. Well, you, you could smell it before you got there. Yeah. Because it has that, that kind of smell. I think we should go and take a look at the fields. Up the berry leaves. Shall we go for a wander up the berry leaves? Yeah. Mr. Miller, let's go for a spin. Jolly good. Now this Balvenny Farm, if you see some of the earlier pictures, Balvenny Farm was there before any of the distilleries were built. So it's been there for a very long time. Not really sure how yeah, far Yeah, the land's back been it. farmed for generations longer than yeah. we've even had a distillery. Balvenny House that we now know as uh, former William Grant's house was the estate office for the Balvenny estate and that was where the estate manager lived. So we're now uh-huh. on the Balvenny so estate. And this yeah, road just driving past some of our warehouses. Yeah, and but then the, this road actually separates um, the two farmers that are actually looking after our land right now. Oh, right, okay, so uh, this is the front line. So we had a major issue in 2000 when... Um, Ian Watt, our Balvenie farmer, decided he wanted to retire, which is hugely inconvenient. Um, so we had to find uh, local farmers who could then farm the land for us. Uh-huh. And we came to an agreement with them that um, part of the agreement was that they would produce each at least 200 tonnes of barley that was of malting quality. We then agreed a price per acre on, on the lease per year. Uh, And clearly it was a very good deal for them because when I met them up at the Highland Games the following year, they dragged me into a tent and bought me a dram. Now, very few (laughs) farmers would do that. So it was a signal that the deal they got was was good. Uh, But one of the first um, fields that we actually grew barley in in 99 was actually the Berry Lees field um, on the Balvenie Estate, which we're going up to right now. 
So this is um, this is about four or five hundred feet above sea level. Yeah, we're really climbing not, up into the hill it's here. It's not particularly good um, for growing barley in, so you need to have a tough barley that has strong stalks and can withstand the Scottish weather and the Highland winters that we throw at it. So our uh -huh. farmer, Ian Watt at Balvendi Farm, decided that he would buy Tyne barley, T-Y-N-E barley. Tyne barley. And Tyne barley was less than 2% of all of the barley that we used in that year. And you can be sure that it was probably the only barley that was converted into to whiskey. So we're now at the Robbie Dew Spring. And just beyond the Robbie Dew Spring is the Berry Lees Field where we grew the first barley in 99 for our first peat adventure in 2000. We can drive up to the, the T-junction here and we can take a walk up to the Bailey's Field. It's called the Bailey's Field because there used to be a farm called the Bailey's Farm up in the middle of the field itself. Am I going straight up here still? You can go right up to the right and you can park right beside there. Some of the Maltons team remember actually going out to the Cabrach to dig peats. The, the fields in the Cabrach were, were actually shared fields and there are two stones which mark the division of landowners. And one of our fellow distillers moved the stones to get access to more peat and at that point in time it created such an annoyance to the two owners that they decided that they would no longer allow access to any of the distillers for the peat. Stop, you better stop here. So where the, where the trees are on our left, that's where the, where the Berylis um, farm was. And yep. you can still see all the stones from the building there. Mm -hmm. So this is where we got the, the first barley. We grew the first barley in 99, harvested the end of 99, took it down to the farm, dried it, and um, when it awoke out of its sleep, we made malted barley from it and then distilled it at Balvenie in 2000. Double century barley. Double century barley. It was a wow. very exciting time. Yeah. But it's one of those things you have to have patience for. You, you want to do everything in a couple of days and find out how things are. But this this is something like, it's a whole year in the making, planting the barley, harvesting the barley. There are obviously massive risks associated with that, but we've got a, we had a good farmer in Ian Watt, and he, he knows how to grow barley. Mm -hmm. Normally barley for the coos, but um, in this instance, we made it clear that the barley had to be of good malting quality to the point where we could make whiskey from it. So it was an adventure for him as well. And I have to say, it's a really beautiful spot up here. We're surrounded by rolling hills, fields, forest. You can see the yellow gorse in bloom on the hill. And if you walk over this hill, it takes you down to the village of Abalau. So mm -hmm. this was the old um, drover's route. So Highlander cows from, from the market would go driven across the hill here to the markets in Abalau. And this was, uh, so if you had a horse way back in the day, the road from Abalau to Duffdown was actually over this hill. And you say drover's route, but it would have been a prime route for illicit whiskey makers once upon a time as well, tucked away in the hills up here. You, you can be sure that uh, <laughs> we're not too far from the Cabrick where it, it's such a wild place that, that people were making whiskey and undoubtedly that a source of peat uh, would be used to burn the fires and, and create illicit whiskey. Well, Ian, shall we go for a wee wander and have a look at the Berry Lees Field? So we simply call it the Berry Lees Field because that's where the Berry Lees farm once was. It must have been tough farming up here at one time. Yeah, but there were there were smaller, small, smaller farms because they were worked by hand. Uh, so it's now part of the Balvenie estate, and it was a great. It's a large field, and it's great for growing barley on. 
1999, uh, that was a great year for, for growing um, our thyme barley. Mm -hmm. Cropped at the end of 99, probably early October, taken down to Balvenie Farm just below us. Dried and then kept over to 2000 where we actually produced the first um, peated experiments through Balvenie maltings. Yes. Uh, so it was a very exciting year of innovation and um, here we are, 14, 15 years on and we've got some lovely whiskey in the, in the can already. Yeah. All from the first experience, the first barley that was grown in, on this land. So and Pete's just a fuel source and it's easily, readily available, it's right on our doorstep. It's cheap, excavate it, dry it and you can use it. Yeah. And, and don't forget, back then we had a lot of people working at the distillery and in the summer months, they were, they were low production months where the people would actually go onto the hill and excavate peat. So it, it, there was a seasonality yep. to the making of whiskey, and part of that was actually cutting the peats, drying the peats, and getting the peats down to the distillery so that in the, the new distilling season we had fuel to actually dry the barley. Things have changed significantly. It's now been cultivated by machines, delivered to the distillery, but essentially it's, it still gives us the same peaty, lovely flavours that actually enhance this lovely 40-year-old week of peat. And every peat bog across the country has its own unique character. So if we're talking about Highland peat and the specific peat that we're using for Balvenie that you use for week of peat compared to if we had sourced peat from Isla, for example, we'd see a massive difference in the influence that that peat would give to the whisky. A lot of the peat on Isla is inland that historically was under salt water. So there, yeah. is, there is a difference there. And, and the type of um, vegetation that grows on Isla would have been hugely different back then because part of it would have been under the sea. Here on, in Speyside, typically there's not a lot of trees on the hills where you see peat. So a significant element of the peat would, would, have, would, would have been historically, it would have been heather. Yep, so there's a, a huge amount of heather in the peat that we have here in Speyside and that we use here in Speyside. So historically we used it from the Cabrick. We now source it from, from Fraser Warren, not too far from here. Uh, but it, I, I'd kind of like to get back into using peat from the Cabrick and maybe that's something we'll explore in the future. Watch this space. Watch this space, very exciting. Watch this space. That was Ian Miller explaining how the week of peat story began. We're now going to meet two more above any legends. Brian Webster, our mashman who's worked with us for 50 years, and Robbie Gormley, our maltman who just retired last year after 42 years at the Bovenny. They're both going to tell us a bit about what they remember from the first time they experienced a week of peat here at the distillery. So here we are just kind of underneath the, the kiln, the pagoda, which that's where you'd see the billowing peat smoke coming out during during the weeks when you're making peat week. That's right, yes, yes. And I love the smell of peat. It's just, when you're standing in below that pergoda, just spot on. It just oh, makes you, you feel as though you're home, Ruby. In a windy day, I'll drive through here and go into the marsh shoes, you can smell the peat. Ruby's over here in the, over in the maltings, I'm over in the marsh shoes, and I know what Ruby's doing to a tea, because I smell it and I see Wafting in. Wafting up. You know, the smell of peat takes me back to my childhood so I grew up on the Isle of Lewis where people are still using peat to heat their homes yes. so when you're walking about the village at night all you smell is that peat smoke so when I come down to the yard here and I smell the peat it just takes me right back oh aye, aye. right back to being little yeah, yeah. it reminds me of home it's a, a few, very homely smell for me a few reminiscences mm -hmm. <laughs> right. but you said when I first started here when I was in the warehouse 
I used to go up there and cut peats, me and Eric and some of the lads from the warehouse in the evenings. And all the time, I used to go up and cut the peats up, up the hill. And if I find sunny day, but you could get nailed. I remember one day, burning hot day, because I need trees, I need no shelter. Then you get home at night, it was all burnt red. Yes. Oh, a lobster. <laughs> That's always what happens when you're out in the peat moss in the right. summertime. Right. You always came home, you're burnt. Burnt, eh? Yes. And of course, if you haven't much hair at the top of your head, that was worse. It just, it just, it was glowing red like a head of a match. <laughs> but it was good, that, the right. pizza was good. Because remember, the last day we was cutting the pizza up there, Mr. Charles got up to stay in the Beacon Lane at the time, and he came down with a tray of drinks for us, because it was my last day, it was real good. And he just bumped down a tray of drinks and brought with Clinton. That's Charles Gordon. Aye. Yeah. And we all had a good time before we got home. Our boss, she can come in here and say, Hello, Robbie, you're doing well today. Or, Hello, Brian, you're doing well today. And that's a guy at the top. Mm-hmm. And, and Charles would have been, he was the chairman, so he was the great great grandson of William Grant. Yes, of our founder. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. at the time, yes. So he was bringing you drams when you were out cutting the peats? Aye, the last day, at least, the morning, boys, you want a cup of tea or something stronger? Because we'll oh, just have something stronger, thank you. Making room in a bottle of a skin, three glasses. And it sounds like Charlie was quite a character. Oh, he was, yes. And of course, we know him and we know his family and we know the history all the way down. So that's a cream on top of the cake at Bulvenny. Robbie, shall you take us down to the kiln? No. Let's go have a look at some peat. Such a big, heavy red door, this. Once that fire's lit and you get going in here, that fire never goes out. You know, that quite comforts me, Robbie, no matter where I am in the world thinking there's always this fire burning at Balvenie and there's always you guys here tending it. Aye, aye. The next that with a, a wee fire there to put the peat in. Peat burner. So this was the, the peat, peat burner, burner that back in 2002 when we first started so before, producing the peated barley that Ian Miller installed back then. That's right. Because before that, we used to throw the peat on top of the fire when you first started drying off the kiln. Because right. the first 12 hours, that's when it absorbs the flavour of the peat. So we decided, or Ian Miller got this new, you know, on the side, because a wee chimney goes upside, and that goes in underneath the floor, and the fan up in the kiln pulls the, the smoke up. Mm-hmm. So that's just thrown in there and left to smoulder a while. You can Dang. smell it if you stick your head in. But <laughs> it's just actually heather, it's, it's decomposed a, no, over thousands, thousands of years, years. Yes. and you get pieces of wood, you see, it's this mm. peat that I've got in my hand here, that's a root Plants, of a piece of trees, trees yes, that's no, a root sheep, of heather, bodies, oh yes, bodies, <laughs> there you could even be somebody's maybe dug in, usually in if you went in to get rid of a, a stell that you had, you, you, you just uh, hid it in a peat bog, Oh, I yeah, remember. Oh, yeah. Because I suppose the these hills spells. around the distillery, they would have been oh, rife for yes. smuggling and bootlegging. Oh, yeah, whiskey mm-hmm. making once upon yes, a time. Yes, yes, yes. The Carbrick's supposed to be a lot up the Carbrick area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then many years ago, every farmer had his wee stilly to just make a wee drummy and just keep it quiet. And... Uh, it, it, it was handy for a Saturday night when there was a keely, the accordion and the fiddle. I was out and everybody was making jolly. What's a better ad but he had drum at the same time, Robbie? Oh, Robbie had been burning peat then anyway. So oh, smell, yes. You could smell it in the hill area. If you got the cover, probably the hill area, you'd smell the peat. Somebody was burning peat yeah. fires all the time. Yeah. 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 
So bringing the peat back to Bovenny in 2002, it really is bringing a tradition back. Back again, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yes. Yes. This is where things start to get really interesting. It's a snowy spring day and you can hear we're just unlocking some big heavy wooden doors and I'm about to walk into Warehouse 41 to talk to David Charles Stewart, our malt master of over 57 years, and George Patterson, who's our warehouse coordinator. We're going to be tasting a series of different casks and try to explain the effect that peat can have on our glorious whiskey. So we're in Warehouse 41 with some... So you've got some treats for us in here, George. Yep, so Balvini peated malt with us today. And starting off, we're looking at a Badrum barrel and it's only four years old, 2015. Okay. So it should be still nice and fresh. You want to open it now? Oh yeah, crack it open Let's for do us. That. It'll be interesting to try this. <laughs> the main thing, we don't want to spill any whiskey, do we, George? No, definitely That's not. The key. Yeah, there we are. Okay, fair. Thank you. Good. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's got a it's nice, nice colour already. Yeah, yeah, nice golden sand colour. This will be Thank quite strong, you. George. This could yep, be 60%, couldn't it? Yep. Easily, depending what the filling strength was. Yeah, you can get that just hint of smoke in the background, can't you? Which is really, that's really the kind of key. We didn't want to dominate the Balvenie with the smoke. We still want it to be very much Balvenie. Yes. So you've still got the honey and the citrus, but you've got that delicate smokiness in the background. Highland peat is different from Isla peat. Yes. You know, it's not, Isla peat is, is more medicinal and more kind of iodine kind of flavours that you get, where this is more, more a kind of earthy flavour, you know, so it doesn't give you that kind of strong, you know, phenolic note that you get in some of the Isla whiskies. Yeah, you can tell it's more earthy campfire yes. rather than yeah. the medicinal phenol. Yes. Mm-hmm. Probably need to add a little bit of water to this, George. Probably yeah, it's going to be quite, uh, quite strong. Uh, just uh, water opens up the whiskies, you know, Gemma. Just, uh, yeah, like you said, it will be in the like, mid-60s. When you're looking at samples, David, typically how much water do you add? Oh, so if this is 60%... Well, we probably add the same again in, okay. in water. We generally bring the whisky down to about 30 30%. Okay. In the sample, we're always looking at the kind of strength of the whisky. And it can be anything from the, in the 90s if we're looking at grain whisky down to, you know, 40% when it's bottled whisky. So generally, water opens up the whisky and releases the, the aromas and the flavours. And I suppose a normal day at work, David, you're nosing dozens upon dozens of samples. Yeah, especially all the single barrels, you know, about any single barrels. We mm-hmm. might, might look about 20 or 30 of these in a day. And then we're looking at the finishes as well. The double wood finishes, Caribbean, Portwood, regular, especially the double wood, which, you know, because a big volume that we, that we sell of double wood. So we're looking at these every two weeks, pretty much. Yes. And you rely a lot on George to help draw all well, the samples when you're looking at them. Yeah, yeah George is, yeah, he's the yeah. main man to, to draw. You're the main to, man, George. To, to draw That's all like the, to hear. To draw all the, the, the samples for us, you yeah. know, especially all the single barrels, the 12 year olds. You've been drawing hundreds of these, you know, yeah. every month. Uh, every month so. at a time. And, uh, and all the finishes, you know, I know Kelsey has got a plan to yeah. ask for the finishes every month as well. Yeah, it definitely keeps us busy. Mm-hmm. So that. Just even with the cask finishes alone, there's over 100 samples a month. Wow. And then we're looking at single barrels, we're looking at almost sending about 100 a month down as well. Yes. So wow. that yeah, and that's, that's between 12 year old and 15 year old. So you've got to pull them all, and then David, yeah. you've then got, got to 
the tough job of having, having to, to know them, them all. all. That's it. That's right. So, so I no, suppose it's... you both work quite closely in quite a close partnership together. Yeah, close, yeah. close but far apart. <laughs> it's an interesting thing for me as well to watch its progression. And I know that we've done these samples last month and they've been requested again, so there must be something coming up with them. So I kind of like nose them myself in a way, we check and notice the difference in the colour and all that. And yeah. Just watch them progress myself. And then when I know they've been okay, then I'm like, going, well, I thought they were okay. So. George's seal of approval yeah, as well. That's it. No, no, that's, that's great. So, and what do you have lined up next, George? Right, so we treat this as. Bobini painted them again, but this is from 2002, from the first filling, September. Yep. So this is the very first run of peated malt from the distillery. That's right, so it's produced for just one week of the year. So then it was September in 2002, that very first week yep. of peat. And this is some of the very first drops. Very first, yep, wow. this is, yep. So this is this will be 17 years old this year, come September. Mm -hmm. And it's another American oak. So the first cast we looked at was American oak, this one too. So this whiskey went into first fill bourbon barrels and refill bourbon barrels and uh, European oak sherry casts as well. We wanted to make sure we put it into a variety of casks. Because mm -hmm. when we filled this in 2002, we had no idea what we were going to do with it. We thought it's just yes. good to have a small amount above any peated whiskey in stock. And we want to fill it into the three different barrels. And you look at how the different wood types combined with time affect the whiskey. Yes. Yes. Well, I've been looking at these, uh, this whisky since 2002, getting samples regular. Mm -hmm. And it was only more recently that we decided we should, uh, the time is right now to, to bottle this whisky as a 14, 14 years old. Yes. You can see little pieces of char and wood fibres floating around in here. Mm -hmm. Definitely straight from the cask. So again, just oh, well. that water opens it up a bit and you get yeah. you start to get that delicate sort of smokiness in, in the background. Still got the honey and the vanilla and the citrus mm -hmm. and these lovely sort of above any flavours. But It's really lovely. It is a wisp of smoke. Yeah, it is. That's just uh, ideal. Smoky sweetness. Tell us, George, when did you start at William Grant's? <coughs> I was in, back in 2009. That's actually when I started as a, a temporary worker, really. Okay. But quite quickly shot through the ranks. Shot through the yeah. ranks. Just uh, clawed your way to the years. top. Yeah. And uh, so I've been British coordinator now probably last seven years. Okay. Uh, well, sorry, I've been six years. Warehouse coordinator for six years. And that's a big job because we have how many warehouses on site? There's 45 now. Uh, yep, they're all jam packed full. You've got more than a million casks yep. that you are kind of keeper of. Yeah, we get the pleasure of looking after them every day, checking them, watching them, and getting to the bottle at the end of their time. Mm -hmm. And a really, really important job. So you've got our oldest casks yep. going right back, oh. right through to what's been filled today. Yep, and you still get that strange feeling when you see a cask that's older than you are <laughs> <laughs> and you just go well wow, I mean my whole life I've done this and that and that and that's just sat it's there yeah that waiting. whole time just doing for David thing. to give the orders uh, there's no cast older than me unfortunately I mean I guess the variety of cast that you've seen over your career yes which is yeah 57 <clears throat> years this year 
It will be 57 years in September. Wow. Yeah. So You're the longest-serving long, malt master long time. in the industry. Yeah, yeah. certainly a long time. But uh, I've had a great job, and there's not many people get to work that long, to be fair, you know, and it's because I've got this kind of unique job and mm-hmm. what it's all about, nosing the whiskey and, you know, being with Balvenie right from the very beginning. Yes. And, you know, creating the finishes. Yes, because we and, first started bottling Balvenie's a single malt in 1974. So, 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 yeah. That's your birthday, George. That's my birthday, isn't it? Two great things happened that year. George Patterson <laughs> and Balvenie's single Balvenie. malt. There we go. And, and when I became the malt master as well in 1974. Yeah, that was very special year. Mm-hmm. So you're right, I've very been well. with Balvenie right from the very start, you know, right through everything we've done. Still there, doing the it job. really gives me goosebumps, David, when I think about it. Every single bottle of Balvenie out there in the world not only has your signature on it, but you've created that bottle, you've created that whiskey. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, yeah, I feel very, very proud. Yeah, that's it. I thought, uh, yeah, this is quite a big, quite a legacy. Shall we look at Shall the next we'll cask? Yeah, we look yeah. at the, the European oak uh, sherry cask, yeah, which is, should be a good bit different. We've got the, the smaller... Um, American oak bourbon barrels there, so they'll typically hold around 190 litres, yes. right? Yeah. And now we've moved over to this is clearly a larger sherry, but by the size of it, George. Yeah, yeah. So it holds about 500 litres. I could very comfortably fit inside one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I could as well. <coughs> George, you might struggle. Aye, we better. Up to the knees. I don't think we've got a cast big enough <laughs> for you, George. So again, this is from the first one, 2002. Okay. European sherry butt. Yeah, you're expecting this, this one is, to look much darker. Oh, this should be really quite, This should be very much darker, just from the Spanish oak. Yeah, you can see how the dark colour from this. Beautiful dark amber colour. Thank you, George. Yeah. You're a dab hand with that blinch. Uh, I practice. <laughs> so this does look. This does look like a first fill kind of sherry butt, as it were. Yes. See how dark, dark the whiskey is, and this is this will produce a very, very different Balvenie. This is all about spicy, cinnamon, ginger, spicy, rich, complex. So this this particular cast might mask the smokiness a little bit, but it's probably more evident in the American oak barrel. Yeah, I think you know, certainly in the nose, maybe where we add the water on the nose, where mm-hmm. you're actually getting more of that European oak note and, and the yeah. smokiness. Uh, you get that spicy richness, complex dried fruits, all these flavours you get from European oak. Yeah, you can get it in the, you get it in the taste a little bit. Mm. You feel it starting to develop through the finish. There is this lingering hint of yeah, peat on your yes. palate. So it's very nice, Along isn't it? With, yeah. Something quite... Those bit rich different. warm fruits so, and cherry spices. Yes, mm. yeah. So you've got that, yeah. Say that delicate smokiness, but you've got that richness, and you know that you get from sherry casks. It's really very warm, full-bodied. Yes, I have to think of bottling one of these sherry butts someday on its own. For yourself, for your private collection, do you? Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Vastly different from from the American oak. So the two thousand. So these were filled exactly around the same time. The same, same time. Week. Yeah. Same distillation run, but it's incredible just to see how the American oak versus Spanish oak that's it. affects it, it. Yeah, that's right. It's, you know, the Spanish oak gives you that dark, dark colour and, and rich, spicy flavours. Cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, dried fruits, raisins, sultanas, yes. almost like a kind of Christmas cake, cherries. All these lovely sort of rich, fruity mm-hmm. flavours you get from sherry, sherry wood. And the effects that that has on the peat, so I suppose... 
you know, you're looking at the levels of the phenols and the spirit when it comes off the stills and then how that over the, over time, I mean, these feel definitely softer with peat when you compare to the, the American oak. Yes. Just the four-year-old the four-year-old, that we tried. Yeah, yeah it is softer, yeah. it just mellows over time. So the phenols time. are dropping over time. Over, they are. So that's something you have to balance, David, when you're looking at some older samples. Yes, that, that's right. So European oak produces a very different style of Balvenie. Mm-hmm. And obviously we do the 15-year-old single barrel because a lot of people do like the, the influence of sherry casts and European yeah. oak. There's a lot of fans out there who like that style of whiskey, but that it t- takes away a little bit from the, the true distillery character of Balvenie. So we actually have a bottle, George, David, which okay. we're very excited to open. So this is one of the very first bottlings of the Week of Peat. So I think we should maybe compare these casts that we've just tried to the finished result, no, we should, shall we? we should. Would you like to do the honours and open it, David? Okay, I can. There we are. What a great sound. That's nice, that's, that's good. good. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Okay, no, no, George. Again, this is a lovely, warm, golden colour. Well... Cheers, Slancha. Slancha, so this is, yeah, so this, so you do get, I mean, that's, this is at 48.2 we're taking this at, at, so you do get that kind of delicate smokiness in the background, but you've also got the sweetness mm. and and the influence of the American oak barrel on the Balvenie, so you get the vanilla and the honey and the butterscotch, the marzipan, all these lovely flavours you get from the American oak barrels and the Balvenie whiskey. That's tremendous. Isn't it? Yeah. This, for me, you know, it's quite chilly in the warehouse just now. Yeah. Um, it's actually it is snowing outside right now. It's April, but it is snowing outside. It's <laughs> but it's so yeah. mm-hmm. lovely, this the warm, yeah. the warming peat, that kind of just, rich yeah. sweetness and warm, smoky aromas. Really perfect. Yes, I know, I agree. Lovely. Well, you could just go and put your feet up now. That's it. Put your feet up in front right. of a nice that's fire. Well, yeah, that's it. Where else that's it. Should we just clock off for the rest of the day? Yeah, that's it. Just do it. But <laughs> often to be drinking a lovely whiskey like this and in a warehouse, you know. Yeah. When you've got the com- kind of smell of whiskey around you anyway, it's a nice place to actually enjoy a, a whiskey. It completely yeah. changes because, I mean, we are actually surrounded by... The barrels are how high, George? Eight? They, they go eight high here eight in the high. warehouse, seven on the front face. But uh, they're just in this, this cell alone. Is uh, 30,000 barrels. 30,000 30, so 60, in, in one warehouse. So we have 60,000 barrels in total around us, but in this section, 30,000. Yep. What a place to sip a dram. Well, no, that's it. That's right. Ideal. There's this story that Dennis told me once, right? And it's one really one of my favourite stories. Because obviously Dennis McBain, our coppersmith, who made your beautiful new shiny copper village, joined us in 1958. And he said through the 60s, himself and a colleague we had to go and do some work on some of the metal racking. So obviously we've got three different types of warehouses, yeah. the dunnage, the racked, and then the palletised, which we're in just now. So he was coming in to do some work on the metal metal racking and his colleague disappeared. And his colleague came up to him and he said, Dennis, I've just been accused of stealing whiskey by the warehouse man, which would have been yourself back mm-hmm. in the day, George. And um, Dennis took one look at him and said, you better go and look in a mirror. So the guy disappeared. The next time he saw him, his face was beetroot. He had a black ring round his mouth, <laughs> literally been yeah. soaking whiskey straight from the cask. Oh, from the bung. 
Yeah. The, the warehouse man was horrified with That's him. That's filtering for you. That's filtering <laughs> for you. <laughs> So uh, that would have been yeah. back in the 60s. Yeah, these were the days for the, 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 the drumming mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and you say, David, when you come across some of our older battles that are a bit light. Yes, yeah, and, and, and below strength Maybe, as um, well, some of them, yeah. yeah a mix of angels and devils there. Joints. Yes, <laughs> yeah. No, everything's so closely monitored these days. I, don't know. I mean, now you hear the old stories as well. You keep a strict well. eye on your casks. Ah, you mean you, you hear the old stories of the guys that's been here for 30, 40 years and everything, saying, oh, back in the day, kind of just come in and first thing you do is get a drum before you start yeah. your day. Yeah, that's it, because they'd clock into work at like eight in the morning and yeah. get a drum and then they would stop for their drum every, every four yeah. or five hours. Mm-hmm. And at Balvenie, it was the new make. It wasn't mature no, spirit it wasn't that new, they got. Yeah, new make, new make spirit mm. they got. I think, yeah, maybe Which when they started. Which is 70% of the cleric at 70%. Yeah. Luckily they never went blind. And they wouldn't be standing around for 15, 20 minutes no. sipping it. They just had to, you know, to knock, it it, knock it back. Uh, well, being in your role, David, did you ever get in line with them when you were up here and have a dram? No, no. When, I suppose you've got access yeah, to when, all the Yeah, when I started in the 60s, you know, I was just 17 then. So, I mean, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, I, I, I was down in, in Glasgow then. So, yeah. And probably it was another maybe 15, 20 years before I regularly came to the distillery when I actually right. got the job, you know, 10, 12, 15 years later. And I started coming to the distillery. But that, by, by that time, the drumming had stopped. Do you remember the first time you tried whiskey? Well, probably two years after I joined the company, I started, I was Hamish Robertson, who was a master blender at that time and malt master at Balvenie. He brought me into the sample room and that's mm-hmm. when he started to get me to nose whiskey and look at what was coming from the distilleries and what we were bottling at the time. And it was really more blended whiskey, like Grant's and, and quite quickly Glenfiddich. But, uh, and that, that's probably when I started. And then you know, away from the company, I probably thought well, I should maybe start drinking whiskey, uh, you know, together with beer. You know, I like, I like beer as well, obviously, but uh, probably at 19. So if I never joined a whiskey company, who knows, I may never have started to drink whiskey at all. <laughs> I might have stuck with the beer or joined other spirits. So 19. 19. Maybe, yeah. What about yourself, Gemma? <laughs> I was probably a bit similar when I first yeah. tried whiskey and that was because I worked um, up on the Isle of Lewis on a very traditional salmon fishing estate. Right, okay. It was my first summer, I was back, so I grew up on the Isle of Lewis, it was my first summer back home from uni and um, we were out fishing and my friend taught me how to fly fish Mm -hmm. and I managed to hook a salmon and land one and there's guests who had been there fishing all day, spending thousands, I mean thousands of pounds Mm -hmm. to go and fish, there's some of the best fishing in Scotland. Um, and they hadn't caught a thing and I went out I'd never fly fished in my life before and after my third cask hooked one so then my friend proudly paraded me into the living room with all the guests when we got back after having caught this beautiful large Mm. eight pound salmon and um, one of the guests handed me a dram of whiskey and that was actually Balvenie Doublewood and that was my very first sip Sip of of single malt Okay, you know that I remember and I think just having that experience having been out in the cold and fishing and then coming in and celebrating yes. and having that sip I'll always remember Lovely, it. yeah. But then it took me another few years to really get into whiskey. Get into after whiskey that. after that. It wasn't until I started at the distillery. Just, yeah. I yeah. really fell in love so with fell whiskey. Fell in love with whiskey, yeah. What about you, George? When was your first dram? 
like David, I was a more a beer drinker and everything, and it wasn't until I started here that uh, I would say with a double wood, that was my first thing. Yes. Yeah. That, was a, that was the first whiskey I really kind of stood out to me. Yeah. And others just seemed like, that's oh, just whiskey, it's just whiskey, but yeah, that was the first one that stood out to me really, and to this day it's really still kind of a favourite one. One of your favourite whiskies, yeah. And along with the Portwood as well. Mm-hmm. I think when but, you're here and you work here, you can't help but fall in love with it. And I know, I know when I started at the distillery, so that was five years ago now, you're just surrounded by it. And we're so connected to the whole process from start to finish. Yeah. Because it's all around us from the fields of barley right through to having all of these warehouses. Yeah, it's the whole there. romance of it from start to finish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the whole creation and the, the path that takes you along. I said, see all the, the whiskeys coming through right. every day and it's just amazing some of the stuff you see mm-hmm. yeah it's really special for mm-hmm. us on that note thank you so okay. much no worries thank you, no, thank you. Thank you thanks, thanks, this has been a real okay, treat no, thanks, Brilliant. thank you cheers that was the story of the people and the places that made the week of Pete I still find it incredible to learn about the complex process that affects the flavours of our whiskies that we're now enjoying 14 years later Spending time with Ian, Robbie, Brian, George and David, you really get a sense of how their lives are intertwined with whiskey and distilling. Thanks for listening. Join us again for the next podcast in the Balvenie Stories series.